Folks, do you love movies? The good ones? Even the bad ones everyone told you not to like? It sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies so much that they've dedicated every waking moment of their life to bringing you top quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From super soft t-shirts celebrating the 20th anniversary of the cinematic masterpiece Josie and the Pussycats, to comfy sweatshirts made for the brave members of the Movies by Yourself Club. They even have pins of some of your favorite directors like Sofia Coppola and Jordan Peele. Super Yaki joyously brings tangible love letters to movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks and ships with compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. As a special gift to you, listeners can save 10% on their order with code SUPERSKYTALKERS. All caps, no spaces, at checkout. If the spirit moves you, you can find them at superyaki.com. Let's watch more movies. Anger. Fear. Aggression. The dark side of the force are they. Easily they flow, quick to join in a fight. Once you start down the dark path, forever will it dominate your destiny. Is that true? What exactly is the dark side? Join us as we unpack the mystery of the dark side. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this episode where cue the spooky music. We're talking all about the dark side. The dark side. The dark side. I feel like maybe you should replace our intro music for this one with, you know, the Imperial March or something. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine, you know, we've, we've used Herosaurs now for five years. And can you imagine, like, turn, pressing play and just <laughs> the Imperial March starts playing? <laughs> Join us as we unpack the mystery of the dark side. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this episode where we're talking all about the dark side. This episode has been a long time coming. I feel like Caitlin and I have been talking about how we wanted to do an episode examining the dark side for a long time, and it's taken many iterations and many different forms, and we finally put pen to paper or pen to Google Doc and (laughs) figured out a way to do it. And honestly, I feel like this is only the beginning of us talking about the dark side. So I wouldn't be surprised if there was a follow-up or anything like that. But I'm really excited about this episode. And Caitlin and I have done a lot of research for it. So I'm pumped. Yeah, it was kind of one of those things where it was like, where do you even start? And then you just start compiling research and information. It's like, okay, how do we even begin to organize this into something coherent and honestly manageable from an episode standpoint? So I think we're on the right path here. You know, speaking of 
dark paths and all that. I think we're on the right path. And I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Yeah, it really has been a long time coming. I think we first started talking about like an exclusively dark side episode like last February, I think. Something like that when we first started talking about it. And yeah, it went through many different iterations, got put on the shelf, got taken off the shelf, back on the shelf. You know, the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's going to be stuff that we don't talk about. And that's just the nature of the fact that this is going to be probably, I can guess, like a two-hour episode. And there's just so much to talk about that I'm sure we're going to miss out on talking about your fave, Darksider. But don't worry. We'll talk about them eventually. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry. They're still there in our hearts, our dark side hearts. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think, you know, kind of how we ended up, I guess, structuring this episode is we actually decided to use Yoda as the starting point and what he says about the dark side from Empire Strikes Back, which is the quote that we read in the prologue, which says, anger, fear, aggression, The dark side of the Force are they, easily they flow, quick to join in a fight. Once you start down the dark path, forever will it dominate your destiny. Consume you it will, as it did Obi-Wan's apprentice. Of course, he's talking to Luke in this case. And I think, you know, that is something that this quote has brought up a lot in Star Wars. And I know we've talked about it a lot, too, particularly in our Yoda series a couple summers ago. But we decided to kind of approach it as like a, is he right? What does he mean by this? Yoda is the Jedi. This is how the Jedi is talking about the dark side. What does he mean in this quote? How is he right and how is he wrong? And we're going to do that through talking about how the dark side was conceptualized. Sorry, I'm kind of diving into our parts now. Um, We'll do it. (laughs) But we're going to divide it out basically with how the dark side was conceptualized really through the early days of Star Wars and then kind of breaking down how it is expressed in two specific characters those of course being Darth Vader and Kylo Ren yeah you guys saw that coming right (laughs) yeah it just felt like we couldn't talk about the dark side without talking about our two main baddies so (laughs) it felt like we had to but I think Caitlin did a really good job of kind of explaining that we're starting from a hypothesis and the hypothesis is we think that Yoda was basically wrong in saying that once you start your, down the dark path, forever will it dominate your destiny. This is something I've said on the show before, and I kind of want to examine if I'm right or if I'm wrong, or can I be proven right? Can I be proven wrong? And I think there's arguments for both. And I feel like this conversation is a pendulum. And one day I feel one way and the other day I feel another. And I feel like that's actually how, when you think about Star Wars, right, you start from a one singular movie and then that singular movie became a trilogy and that trilogy became a six-part saga then that six-part saga became a saga with television shows and then those that entire piece became a nine-part saga with television shows and ancillary material and all of that so it just gets really overloaded with all these different ideas and different creators have things to say about the dark side but how did it start from a singular spot and why is this included in the story? Those are the questions that we're going to answer. But in terms of our hypothesis with Yoda is wrong, (laughs) obviously, I feel like we have to start by saying we don't have to take Yoda's word for anything in fiction, right? Yoda can be an imperfect hero. And I think that that's important to keep in mind, too. And 
I think there's something really interesting about how the concept of the dark side have, has evolved separate of the films and kind of has a new meaning in like fanon versus canon. I feel like in fanon, the dark side is this fixed concept. It's not an everlasting battle like I think George Lucas actually wanted it to be. And when kind of scholars speak on the dark side, your baggage, your shadow and things like that, it's something that you're constantly working on. And I think that George Lucas would agree with that. But I think sometimes when we talk about the dark side, and that's where Yoda's quote comes in, it's like, once you join, you join, (laughs) and that's it. (laughs) And I feel like there's just so much more to it. And I think that we're going to also answer how does redemption factor into the dark side? And how are we supposed to see this harsh line between the dark side and the light side of the force? So those are just some things that we're going to cover here. And If you want to keep those questions in your mind and those concepts, we'll probably refer to them in each of these parts. So why don't we get started, Caitlin? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Without further ado, let's get started. And that anger leads to hate. And hate leads to suffering. Mostly on the part of the person who's selfish. Because you spend all your time being afraid of losing everything you've got instead of actually living Okay, welcome to part one, where we're talking kind of about the concept of the dark side and also how creators talk about the dark side. And number one, I feel like this episode is kind of going to be similar to the episode where we were talking about the living and cosmic force, mm-hmm. <laughs> where it was just like, it got like too big brain in our brain, if that makes sense. <laughs> it's pretty high concept. I know that this episode is going to be majorly high concept. That's why I mentioned the thing about the pendulum. Yeah, Exactly. I really think that as much as we can start with a hypothesis that we agree with or disagree with, I feel like we're going to be, we're going to come down on both sides. It's just the way it's going to be. Yeah. I feel like there's kind of these episodes throughout Sky Talker's library. The Fate and Destiny episode, uh, I believe the episode where we talked about the living and cosmic force was in in our Yoda series, actually, is where we really just kind of lost our minds about it. And then Weird Force stuff, the Yoda series, and Fate and Destiny are kind of these like, I don't know, where they almost feel like too hard to talk about in any kind of succinct, comprehensible way. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I feel like the dark side is going to fall within that. But I wanted to bring up, right, we're going to be reading, particularly in this section, a lot of different quotes from, like I said, the creators of, you know, Star Wars, the creators of Star Wars, George Lucas predominantly, (laughs) and some others. (laughs) But we talked about this in one of our Bad Batch episodes recently, where we read this quote from Dave Maloney about the humanity of the clones from 2012. And in that conversation, you and I were talking about how, you know, with Star Wars, we're so lucky to have such this a collection, this archive of so much that has been said, so many interviews that have been given from creators to really kind of track how they're talking about these big concepts throughout time and how some of these ideas have changed, whether by the same creator or by different creators and how they interpret it, and then how it's interpreted by fans themselves. It's just really cool to have 40 plus years of people talking about the dark side to be able to look back and say like, you know, this is how George Lucas was talking about the dark side in 1977. How was he talking about it when we see him exploring that concept in, you know, the Clone Wars, when we have something like Mortis, or even then, you know, his protege, his Padawan, Dave Filoni, expressing it later on with a concept like the Bendu in Rebels, you know. So I think it's really cool to be able to 
track through time these creators and how they're talking about the same concept and the things that stay the same in those conversations and then also the things that change the more that they create and live in the world of Star Wars. So I feel like that's kind of going to be what this section is about too. And I don't know, it's it's going to be fun. I'm ready. And just not even as these concepts live in Star Wars, but also live in the world, because I think yeah. our impression about evil is something that is evolving. I think we all know what being evil is, right? But the dark side is can be separate from that conversation too. And I feel like that concept and living with yourself when you have done bad things, whether they're on a fiction scale or not, is something that I think that philosophers, even modern philosophers, are even talking about now, you know? And I just think that as media continues to be created and ideas continue to be evolved, so does the concept of the dark side. Like, even separate from Star Wars, right? This isn't the idea of a dark side or someone having a dark side isn't created by Star Wars, right? So it just is an everlasting conversation. And I think that's, it's this, I guess, like this kind of starting point of the dark side, this episode as a whole in comparing kind of these two big pillars of Vader and Kylo will be really interesting with, you know, of course, Vader, a lot of his dark side characterization is from the 70s. That's when that was all being developed. And by George, too. And that continued with Anakin, of course, in the second trilogy, the prequel trilogy era. But then Kylo is He's that other pillar of dark side kind of in the Skywalker line, but he comes from a very different time and from very different creators, too, than who George Lucas is. So it's it's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start at the very beginning. So when I say the very beginning, I say the Star Wars second draft. Let's start there. Okay. <laughs> And I don't have the date in front of me, and I should have, but I don't. And I'm pretty sure it's 1974. So this is 19... Let's just say it's 1974, okay? It's before 1977. (laughs) So in the second draft, there is a mention of the Bogan and the Ashla. So it's really interesting. We've heard those names frequently recently in like Rebels and everything like that. So, But the Bogan and Ashla is the first mention of basically a binary, like a distinguishing factor between two sides of whatever mystical power George wants to explore, which is called the force of others or the wills. The names constantly change and get cut down until eventually what we know today is the force. And I think there's an interesting question here about like, were these concepts always fixed in a binary or was there something more gray between them that George was interested in exploring or not? And I included this quote because I thought it would be interesting to read because I actually think that it's a great exploration of where the ideas began for even fleshing out what happened to Anakin, but also these concepts were used in the sequel trilogy too. I just find it fascinating. So Caitlin, would you mind reading this part and then I'll read the next part? Yes. So Luke says, this is in the script, um, in the second draft, Luke says, quote, as you know, the force of others has two halves, Ashla the good and Bogan the paraforce or evil part. Fortunately, Skywalker came to know the good half and was able to resist the paraforce. But he realized that if he taught others the way of the Ashla, some, with less strength, might come to know Bogan, the dark side, and bring unthinkable suffering to the universe. For this reason, the Skywalker entrusted the secret of the Force only to his twelve children, and they in turn passed on the knowledge only to their children. 
who became known as the Jedi Bendu of the Ashla, the servants of the Force. For thousands of years, they brought peace and justice to the galaxy. One time, there were several hundred Jedi families, but now there are only two or three. And then after that, like the character Windy. So these characters all evolved and took on different roles that we know today, right? So there was Luke, Windy, and Biggs in the very beginning. So Windy asks what happened to them, and Luke explains it's because of several government systems failing, including the rise of the Empire. And then Windy asks, why didn't the force of others help the Jedi put it right? And then Luke answers, because a terrible thing happened. During one of his lessons, the young Padawan Jedi, a boy named Darklighter, came to know the evil half of the Force and fell victim to the spell of the dreaded Bogan. He ran away from his instructor and taught the evil ways of the Bogan Force to the clan of Sith pirates, who then spread untold misery throughout the systems. They became personal bodyguards of the Emperor. The Jedi were hunted down by these deadly Sith knights. With every Jedi death, contact with the Ashla grows weaker, and the force of the Bogan grows more powerful. And so this is in the second draft. And by the fourth draft, there is no longer any mention of the Bogan or the Ashla. So that concept might have just been too confusing for George and said we should call it the light side of the dark side of the force. But <laughs> I find this exchange absolutely fascinating because, yes, I mentioned the roles continue to change, but... I think there's something really cool about, number one, the concepts being named, and then the fact that the Jedi like were part of the Ashla, but also that the Bogan is something that is an unknown, that once you knew it, then you were like fully consumed by it, which I think is a concept that gets refined further and further throughout the Star Wars development process. I think this whole exchange, like you said, it's super fascinating. One, of course, as they say in Star Wars, they famously never get rid of anything. And they're kind of always mining the past for ideas for the future. And clearly, you know, the Bendu is something we see again. Ashla, eventually, they talk a lot about this concept of Ashla in the development of Ahsoka as a character in like 2006, 2007 for the Clone yeah, Wars. Yeah, yeah, her, her name was even going to be Ashla at one point. Yeah, that's right. It was. So one, I think that's really interesting. But you asked the question before we read these about these concepts being fixed in a binary or was George interested in something kind of more gray between them? And I think this is a good question to ask because I think when we talk a lot about the development of Star Wars and, and even George himself, he's wanting to do something this sounds bad, but like by the book when it comes mm -hmm. to myth and a million times over, we can talk about Joseph Campbell and the hero with a thousand faces and, and following this step-by-step -step hero's journey kind of process. And I think once you start introducing it into space and the idea that people are good or bad, like you have the hero and the villain, it feels really natural to start then expanding that onto the like mystic level of something like the Ashla and the Bogan and kind of wanting to give them names and then kind of even funneling the Skywalker and his 12 children into like the keepers of the light. I think there's something really fascinating about that concept of like it was only people from presumably like what sounds like the Skywalker bloodline who could keep the light side the Ashla, and they were protectors of it, and it was only within this family. And I think we see this in a lot of different fantasies of, like, there's the protector of the thing, the thing that the evil side wants to get, and it's to, like, snuff out the light, snuff out hope. And these are themes that are very common throughout all kinds of stories. And so I think it makes sense, especially, like, here in this second draft, to really see 
George kind of really compartmentalizing these ideas of good and bad, light and dark, and even so much to give them like a specific name for this like world building that he's doing with Star mm-hmm. Wars. But I think we really start to see that change pretty early on because even later on, something we'll talk a lot about in this episode, I'm sure, is George really then begins like to conceptualize the dark and the light side as selflessness and selfishness. And those are kind of more ambiguous terms, which I think really kind of start to speak to that gray in between of how are you acting in any given moment, selfless or selfish. So I think it makes total sense for him to kind of start in this very binary view of the dark side and the light side, Bogan and Ashla. And then that, of course, is something that he drops in favor of these more ambiguous terms that we now know as the dark and the light side. Well, things just get completely stripped down, right? Like, yeah. There's no more 12 children. Luke is our main character. Everything kind of changes, right? And it's so interesting to read these early drafts. I highly recommend it. I'm going to have a work cited in the description. And I highly recommend this is from the J.W. Rinsler making of the Star Wars books. And we're going to be citing those often. So I think there's something really cool here, too. I mentioned this about the fact that once you knew the dark side, then you became consumed by it. And I think that idea of the unknown is really interesting and having to get away from the bogan force because you don't want to know anything with regards to that because that will snuff out the light. That is very high level, very, I I can't even imagine how that would work on a story level just because it feels unexplorable, honestly, because there's like no way to get in contact with something and explore what darkness is. And for me, that's kind of what's fun in a story. <laughs> so yeah. I think that this is really fascinating to me. And kind of moving on a little bit in the making of the Empire Strikes Back books, there's this concept of the idea of the dark side as an addiction. I think both of these are kind of similar in this weird way about like the unknown and also the addiction so it's like once you know what the dark side is then you become addicted to it and it will never let you go but the thing about an addiction is that maybe you can pull away at least i hope so so caitlin would you mind reading this quote from the empire strikes back story conferences so this was before a script was created yeah ben will explain to luke that he will gather all these powers seeing his ancestors through the force and even bringing them back from the dead but he can't use them for evil or he will succumb to the dark side of the force. If you use it for evil, it will start using you. It is a force for good, but the more you become addicted to it, the more it controls you, and the side that controls you is the bad side. The side that you can control is the good side. The good side is a passive side, and the bad side is an aggressive side, the two sides of the force. One is aggressive, one is passive in relationship to things. In one of his notes, Lucas wrote, The mood of a warrior calls at once for control and abandon. The force commands you and obeys you. Unity of opposites. If you use it well, you can see the future and the past. You can read minds and you can levitate and use the whole nether world of psychic energy. Like these kind of terms I don't feel like we talk a lot about Mm -hmm. as far as like passive and aggressive. With the force, I think we talk about it in the addiction sense quite a bit, but there are certain like tenets of the discussion about the force that you see creators talking a lot about. Like we've mentioned already, the dark and light side, George, of course, and Dave too, with selfish versus selfless. I think these are very common. But this whole part here about almost like the intention that the force user brings to their action will or their usage of the force will 
determine how the force in turn reacts to them and if it will obey them or use them depending on their passiveness. And I think you can kind of see that in quotes from Jedi, like just let the force flow through you passively. But then, you know, in the dark side, we have like call on the power of the dark side. That's obviously like more aggressive, right? Yeah, I think about chaos when I think about the dark side, mainly because I think about Maul. Yeah. And I think that this idea of the side that you can control is the good side. I kind of recoil a little bit at that quote because I don't like the idea of controlling something that is supposed to be natural, like the force. But in the opposite sense of having no control over it and living in this world of chaos, I can understand that sentence for what it's supposed to be saying. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like also this came up in our conversations between The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker when Rey and Kylo Ren were described as instruments of the cosmic force. We were always debating, and I'm still debating it, honestly, whether or not the force using Rey and Kylo as instruments and controlling them or pushing them in a direction was good or bad. (laughs) And I think that this idea of the side that you can control is the good side really does push up against that concept that comes up in the sequel trilogy for better or for worse. And obviously this is from a story conference. So George might've just said this. And (laughs) again, I just don't know. You don't really know whether or not he would agree with this today or what, but I still find it really fascinating. This idea that the aggressive versus the passive and the dark side being aggressive also is an interesting idea that it takes on a different like a life of its own because for me when you talk about like differentiation between the light side and the dark side is selfish and selfless like the onus is put on the user of the force to use it for good or for bad but the idea of one being aggressive and one being passive like those two words to me don't jive up with the usage of the force. Does that make sense? Am I making sense? Yeah, I think, you know, kind of going back to the instruments of the cosmic force, this was something that we, you're right, talked so much about. Circles, circles. (laughs) Circles. And I think this also circles into the conversation of like fate and destiny. And I think there's a quote that we'll read from George in our Vader section about kind of the fate of Anakin and kind of succumbing to the aggressiveness of this and like you're right like this it, right it's hard to talk about right like the controlling of the force it's only if you're good or like that's something only a good person would do it, it feels still very black and white at this stage and I don't know why but you talking about Ray and Kylo it reminded me again of we brought it up a couple times of this quote from Charles Soule that I kind of really disagree with in I forget what book had just come out, but he was talking about the force in an interview. And he said, basically talking about how the force is cruel and that if the force Mm -hmm. taps you on the shoulder directly, you should turn the other way. way. And he also said there, he was talking about the Skywalkers, they're instruments of destiny and they suffer for it. And I think this is a really kind of hopeless view of the force that I don't think most creators, I hope, would not ascribe to. It's not how I ascribe the force or think about it, right? And I think it's interesting in this whole kind of conversation of the dark side and of the force in general, and I feel like that's kind of where we have to start is like the force itself and then kind of drilling down into the dark side. Yeah, it it just feels so hopeless to think about it that way. And 
like the force is supposed to bring hope, this idea that you should turn the other way. It takes away a lot of agency. I don't know. I'm kind of talking in circles about it now, but I think in this quote in particular from George about like controlling the force, there's a nuance there between what George is saying here and what Charles Soule said in that quote of, you know, if the force taps you on the shoulder, you should turn the other way because the, the force is kind of controlling your destiny. But there is free will in all of this. And I think in a way, I almost think that's kind of what's missing from this quote from George at, at this juncture with Empire of, you know, only good people have a passive relationship with the Force and only bad people try to control it and are thus controlled by it. It's just it's too strict of a box, I think. And I think that changes as we go throughout Star Wars, too. Yeah, I would argue that that's part of the problem with the quote that we started with, with Yoda from Empire Strikes Back about forever will it dominate your destiny is there's a emptiness there that feels like there is no room for free will or changing the path or how that looks for an individual and I think that all of these things are related and even moving on just there's a little bit of a difference between George Lucas's draft for Empire versus Lawrence Kasdan's draft for Empire and I think it's really interesting so in the draft for that George Lucas wrote Luke asks, is the dark side stronger? And Yoda says, not stronger, aggressive. The attacker hateful, tempted you will be by the easy way. And in Kasdan's draft, he writes, Luke asks, is the dark side stronger? And Yoda says, no, no, easier, quicker, more seductive. And I think that it just kind of shows the brilliance of Lawrence Kasdan, honestly, because it's just better. I think we all know that, right? <laughs> like it's less heady. It's less like not stronger, more like not stronger, comma, aggressive is Lucas's vibe. And that's just like, wait, faster, what? more intense. Yes. It's just like, doesn't really <laughs> do our entire conversation about like, but that doesn't really answer the question, Yoda. But Yoda answers the question right away. No, no, easier, quicker, more seductive. And that makes more sense to me. Yeah. And I think that there's just these ideas that, George Lucas probably was evolving with each iteration, each movie, trying to figure out how it all worked with exploring what it means to be tempted by the dark side, what that would mean for a character like Luke, which I don't think he was initially thinking about when he was writing those initial drafts that I was reading from like 1974. These are all questions that come up in each iteration of Star Wars, right? So they get more personal, more individualistic, more how does that relate to this character? Yeah, especially once it's decided that Vader is Luke's father and how all of that plays in, you know, Mm -hmm. when George decided that Vader was his father and then also when he decided that he was going to be redeemed and kind of how all of that factors into these conversations about the dark side. And, of course, the paradox of Star Wars and that at the time the end was made before the beginning and it's just so kind of twisty in the development of it, right? It's quite (laughs) literally twisty. (laughs) (laughs) I think kind of and the next thing I want to read for us is this quote from Lucas, which is a little bit more based in religion and from his worldview of Christianity and that influence on the dark side and the light side, because this this is, of course, based in Christianity, which was George's background, I believe his religious background. But I think this kind of gets at like that personal choice of it that I think you and I interpret a lot in the force now. 
And so Mm -hmm. I feel like we're kind of getting to that point with this quote. I can't remember what year this is from. I'm pretty sure this quote is from the archives book, the original trilogy archives book. So we're in that 77 to 83 time period. (laughs) But this quote is, George Lucas says, the force evolved out of various developments of character and plot, which is kind of what we've been talking about this whole section thus far. He continues, I wanted a concept of religion based on the premise that there is a God and there is good and evil. I began to distill the essence of all religions into what I thought was the basic idea common to all religions and common to primitive thinking. I wanted to develop something that was non-denominational but still had a kind of religious reality. I believe in God. I also believe there are basic tenets that through history have developed into certainty such as thou shall not kill, do unto others. That is a philosophy that permeates my work. And... I think that's true. (laughs) Yeah. So, of course, he's going to explore the opposite of that when it comes to the dark side, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, in Christianity, obviously, the idea of forgiveness of sin is a huge tenet of that faith. And Mm -hmm. so it makes sense that especially if this is, again, I, I don't remember exactly what time period this quote is from, but if we're in the Empire time frame or even the Return of the Jedi time frame, that, of course, is going to be something he's thinking even more about. It is in the Return of the Jedi time frame. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I think that when we do get to the Return of the Jedi time frame, actually George is a lot more open and exploratory about these kind of conversations about the ending and what does it mean. And it's so interesting. We'll talk about it with Darth Vader, but almost how pushy he was about the whole redemption aspect and how like there's a general pushing of the appearance of unmasking Vader has to look a certain way to evoke a certain feeling appeal from the audience yeah and he he got a lot of pushback on that from the other creators which i thought was so interesting because of course he's right and of course like it, it was so perfect you know and but this idea this exploration of like how far can we push someone to the dark only to pull their mask off and see who they are inside when they do one final good act right and yeah I also think just to your point about bringing up this quote that does speak a lot about Christianity is I think we talk about a lot how Star Wars is influenced by Eastern myth and Eastern religion and things like that. But we have to remind ourselves that Star Wars was created from someone from Modesto, California with a Christian background. And I think that it's an American movie. I think you'll talk to a lot of people even like in the international community who would be like, yeah, that's Star Wars is classically american movie you know yeah and a lot of people have talked about this so uh, there's like i i actually remember i can't remember what reference book this is in it could have been the world according to star wars maybe but about how star wars is a is envisioned as an american film and how it gets that point of view from all over the world so i just want to mention that because i think that he often doesn't talk about this side of him basically ever like this is one of the few quotes that I think we've seen about this but perspective is necessary to keep in mind yeah absolutely all right so kind of to round out this first part you know we couldn't get through this part without a quote from Dave right we've read this quote before and the reason we wanted to bring it in is because I feel like it's kind of one of the more recent big things that a creator has said about the concept of the force right And so I think it's important as we start actually talking about uh, our characters, Vader and Kylo, and kind of how we started this episode of how have these concepts 
changed and remained the same through time. And this was, I say more recent, but this was from like, I think 2012 too, whenever Mortis came out. This is from the Mortis era. So Mortis was 2010, I think. All right. Me, more recent. (laughs) Dave, a decade ago. It's fine. (laughs) It's a good quote, guys. So here we go. Dave says this about the Force. Well, the Force is the most core important thing in Star Wars, the magic of it. And you have to be careful when you flesh it out because you don't want to rob from the magic of it by over-explaining. But I've had a lot of talks with George about it and what was important about the Force. And I thought I had an opportunity to further some of those themes, to really set them down so people have more examples of what George believed the Force was about. It's selfless nature versus its selfish nature, about when you wield it, what the results of that can be, and how to relate to it on a very personal human level. I got a little bit more into what I believe is the living force that we used to talk about and somewhat the force that's all around us, the force of nature. A lot of people focus on the light side and dark side through the Jedi or the Sith, which is those people taking the force and using it for their own will, sometimes selfishly and sometimes selflessly. But it's a little bit different and understanding the idea that the force exists apart from the Jedi and the Sith. They don't have sole dominion over it. And so I was bringing some of those ideas a little bit further out into the open that we had dealt with George on the Mortis trilogy and then the Yoda arc in Clone Wars. And so it was really fun and people seemed to really like the ideas and like the stories that we told. And that, again, I credit back to the source material and the fundamental ideas that George set down. Okay, so this is actually from the Yoda arc, so not quite a decade. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. almost though. So <laughs> yeah, but it, yeah, I think this is a good quote again to bring up just how creators are conceptualizing the Force and talking about it. And of course, I think something that Dave is really well known for is he kind of always falls back on what George says, and you can take that for better or for worse in some cases, right? But that is very much Dave's line of thinking about the force. And I think we kind of see that here in this quote, but also kind of expanding it a little more to something that I think George was always thinking about, right? In that the Jedi aren't the only ones who use the force. And we see how that kind of changed from his initial concept of the force back with the Ashla and the Bogan and the Skywalker children being the only one who protected the Ashla and how that was dropped. But, you know, in the original trilogy, that's kind of what we see is this mysterious Jedi and they're the ones who know everything about the Force. But by the time we get to the Clone Wars era and Rebels and all of that, we really start to see this expansion of the Force through the different stories that are being told at that time. And so we get more nuance to it, I think. Yeah, especially in The Last Jedi, too. I feel like the concepts that are talked about here from Dave are extremely explored in The Last Jedi about the democratization of the Force and everything like that. I think a really important part of this quote is that you how to relate to the Force on a very on a personal human level that Dave mentions. I think that while we talk about these, like I've said before, high concept ideas of the dark versus light, it all comes down to how our characters are reacting to situations and how we as an audience and how our characters too can relate to the darker parts of our past and how we can get through that versus having it dominate our destiny. Yeah. All right. Well, are we ready to actually start talking about Vader? Yes. Let's do it. Tell your sister you are right. Okay. So welcome to part two where we're going to be talking about Darth Vader slash Anakin Skywalker. 
when it comes to Darth Vader and Anakin Skywalker, I think that just like the quotes that we read before about the Star Wars developmental process, the concept of Vader once started pretty black and white, right? And it completely almost radically changed throughout each episode of Star Wars. And that exterior that we first saw in Star Wars A New Hope is like absolutely peeled away, especially by Return of the Jedi, and then completely changed our entire point of view of Anakin Skywalker's totally thrown on its head when we meet Anakin as a nine-year-old kid. And I think it's interesting to think about Anakin's own destiny, right? Was Anakin always meant to be consumed by the dark side? Was he even consumed by the dark side? Like when you use those words, was he consumed? I think the answer to that is yes, but the way that he ends up, maybe he, I don't know, you can push against that, I suppose. But how do we talk about the 22 years he spent on the dark side without it fully taking over the conversation if we talk about Anakin Skywalker as a character. We can't. And so then I am sort of arguing against ourselves here by saying, does that actually prove Yoda's point of the fact that that does dominate his destiny? Right? So when we talk about Anakin, it's impossible to separate his dark deeds. Or is it? Right? Is it impossible? And I think that it's interesting to explore. What do you think about that, Caitlin? I think this is a really interesting conversation, not just from a story point, point but as we've kind of briefly touched on from a fandom point and also right the the longevity of Star Wars because before we started this episode I was thinking you know you and I we don't actually talk about Vader that much <laughs> I know it's so weird <laughs> you know like for us as children of the prequels we talk about Anakin that's kind of our first point of contact for this character and for us maybe it's because we're children of the prequels right that like Anakin as he is in the second trilogy, that's our touchstone for the character. For us, when I say Anakin, I think of Anakin Skywalker. I honestly don't always think of Vader. Me neither. And I think that's for a lot of different reasons because of the prequels doing a lot to create sympathy for that character, right? And kind of growing up with the Clone Wars, which is all about Anakin, the hero, rather than Anakin, the villain, and kind of tracking that fall or the influences into his fall to the dark side. Whereas people who grew up with the original trilogy, their perspective is the villain first, sympathetic character second. But for us, it's the opposite of sympathetic character first, villain second. And I think that is so fascinating in the psychology of approaching a character who, and with Anakin, it's probably like 50-50, right? Like he spent half of his life roughly being a Jedi and the other half being Vader. So what dominates his destiny? How do we define him? But you and I define this singular character differently than perhaps someone who was first introduced to him as Vader rather than us as Anakin. Yeah. It is so interesting. And I feel like we see this a lot about can you separate the two? Should you separate the two? And I'm not doing that purposefully. It's just who I'm familiar with. Like in this conversation right now, we're not separating them. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we're talking about Anakin slash Vader. So I just want to lay that down, you know? But I think that that's definitely a common fan conversation about the sort of separation between these two figures because. There's also that real world significance, right, about like there's this huge chunk of time between two actors and two different eras of portrayal of these characters, too. There's not just 
the in-universe aspect of it all. It's just, it's definitely, there's, there's so much that goes into it, like culturally and just like in the, in a real life sense. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say too, of one, I don't think you and I ever, someone can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I don't think you and I ever consciously try to separate Anakin and Vader in that like we're ignoring like that part of Anakin's life that was Vader. Right. But I think it, I think it does have a lot to do with that entry point of how do you first reference this character? We will probably always first reference him as Anakin. Even though we're still talking about Anakin Vader, it's a different connotation of that first touchstone being Anakin as opposed to someone who immediately is going to talk about that character as Vader rather. And is talking about Vader and Anakin, but is first going to be thinking about visually Vader and I guess even like morally Vader. I just think it's really interesting. And, and to your point about the time, right, of seeing at this point, what, five, six different people have played Vader, Anakin in some form or fashion, right? And I remember having this conversation specifically in Trials of the Dark Saber with Anakin, Matt Lantner, and James Earl Jones's voice being overlaid on each other in that scene. And I remember you and I talking about it. And for us, honestly, it was a moment of of connectivity, like true connectivity for that character of Anakin to Vader, of seeing our touchstone, the Hayden Christensen version of Anakin, really meshed with the Vader in in an evil way, not in that the way that it's portrayed in Revenge of the Sith of that fear in his eyes, right, when the mask comes down, but in Trials of the Dark Saber. You hear Matt Lantner, Anakin, talking to Ahsoka and say, then you will die. And it's so chilling. And I remember it felt like this big revelation, that scene, solely for connectivity, because it is a shift, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that it's bad. It's just the reality of a film first made in 1977 versus, you know, 2021. And this character is still doing stuff, right? It's just the reality of it. But that moment is really important, I know, for us in, I don't know, just kind of bridging that gap a little bit more. Yeah. I want to correct you just for posterity's sake that the episode wasn't Trials of the Dark Saber, but Twilight uh, of the Apprentice. I and literally do that all the time. <laughs> I, this is not the first time I've done that. I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's the same beats. I understand. Yeah, same, I, I, same emotions. It's, yeah. No, it's the same like inflections in the, in the yeah. tone of voice when you say it. So Regardless, I think that's so true. And I was just sitting here while you were talking, thinking about how much of a bold choice it was for George Lucas to go back and create the prequels after unmasking Darth Vader and creating a brilliant trilogy with a scary villain who has this amazing end to his story and Luke's story as well. I think that we're living in this world right now where so many intellectual property owners are mining the stories for origin stories. And I'm thinking about like Disney specifically. And I think that we're sort of in this world where there's a sort of fatigue around that. But it's easy to forget that that wasn't necessarily the case for when the Star Wars prequels were created. And this sort of really bold choice of showing nine-year-old Anakin Skywalker grow up, be a super awkward teenager and, you know, fall in love and make some really terrible decisions and be a product of his environment as well. 
that leads him to where we meet him in A New Hope. And now I think that to you sharing this story about Twilight of the Apprentice, I think that is so true because I feel like part of Lucasfilm's current mission, and we'll probably see that mission kind of be even more explored in the next like five years, I think, is to create a further connectivity to these characters across different types of mediums, right? So even just like thinking about the upcoming Kenobi show, right? So we're going to see Hayden Christensen embodying Darth Vader. It's like, it's a weird concept that I just can't even wrap my mind around because even if there's like a flashback included, then we see Anakin fighting in the Clone Wars. And then that's different than the Matt Lanter, Hayden Christensen, Anakin Skywalker. It's so weird. So like, I just think that there's just a lot there to sew. And this is really separate from our Darth Vader dark side discussion but it's also not because of the way that we approach the character and the way that our entire cultural environment has sort of evolved to understand Darth Vader as a sympathetic villain not just a villain who had a happy ending yeah I have to say uh, kind of off topic when you were talking about Hayden Christensen being in Kenobi and what this new layer on the Anakin Vader character will will mean (laughs) Can you imagine if they put Matt Lanner and Hayden Christensen in the same scene? <laughs> of we'd, like we'd all die. We'd you know all Matt Lanner die. like in The Mandalorian. He had to, that that little bit. Can you imagine? Because remember that picture <laughs> of them together from Celebration? It broke the internet. It, it broke was the internet. So great. And then remember that clip you sent me a couple weeks ago. Oh my god! I where Hayden? That. He's not. He's not purposely impersonating Matt, but something he says sounds. Just, just like Matt Lanner as Anakin. And I just, anyway, I'm just going to put that out into the universe of a <laughs> what if. <laughs> I'm glad you put that there. I'm, and I'm sorry to kind of throw us off course a little bit, but I, I had to say it. <laughs> <laughs> so I think one of the first kind of discussions of Vader we want to include in this section is, again, from the Empire Strikes Back story conferences. So do you want to go ahead and read this piece, Charlotte? Yeah, just like we were talking about before. There's so many great quotes from the Empire Strikes Back story conferences that are just clearly George just bouncing ideas off of each other. So here's the quote. Vader started to get fascinated with the dark side of the Force and was lured into it. He didn't tell anybody, as he became an evil person. The evil Force was starting to take over the galaxy. It was in control of the Emperor. He began to get more power and the Senate was getting less powerful. No one knew he had been seduced, but he went around killing all these Jedi in secret. He killed a bunch of them and trapped others in a situation where they were all destroyed. Only a few escaped. One of them was Obi-Wan. Vader is completely consumed by the evil side of the Force. He is an instrument of the Force rather than having his own free will in terms of what he does. When we kill him off in the next one, he'll reveal what he really is. He wants to be human. He's fighting in his own way the dark side of the Force. He doesn't want to be a bad man, but he is. He can't resist it. He's struggling somehow to get out of what he is, struggling with this humanity. I think that in this quote, in this idea, right, of Vader getting fascinated with the dark side of the Force and being lured into it is a sort of semi-half truth of what happened, right? Anakin was fascinated by this idea, this power to save Padme's life, and was lured into it. This concept of he didn't tell anybody as he became an evil person is also true. And the evil Force was starting to take over the galaxy. It was in control of the Emperor. This goes back to even the Ashlyn the Bogan, right? This idea of the unknown sort of taking over everything and consuming everything while no one really knew it was happening. And once you were aware of it, 
and everyone else is sort of left in the dark. I find that so interesting, right? But just to go even further and say that George was even talking about Anakin slash Vader being an instrument of the force rather having his own free will in terms of what he does goes to exactly what we were talking about before about the instruments of the cosmic force with Rey and Kylo and how the free will piece is missing when you talk about that. And that's why I think it's a little muddied in the future in this present day storytelling that we're in right now about the force being active, I guess, versus passive, like what we were talking about before. But I like this concept that even in the Empire Strikes Back story conferences, they're there's this idea that Vader is human. He wants to be human and he's fighting inside his mask, inside his suit. He's struggling with his humanity. I think this is such a fascinating quote because there are parts of it that I really disagree with. And <laughs> I think it's fascinating because I think a lot of people will disagree with this quote too, especially the he's an instrument of the force rather than having his own free will. I think a lot of people would push back against that. And the caveat to this, right, is if George would still agree to this today. And I would argue that this changes once mm-hmm. we he actually starts creating the prequels. Again, just to reiter- reiterate, this is from story conferences. Like you said, this is George just like, oh, okay, we're talking about this now. <laughs> it's not him like typing it into this is what Star Wars is dot com, right? Of course, this was in the 70s, so he definitely wasn't doing that then. But you you guys know what I'm saying here. This is like a free flow conversation of brainstorming and just talking it out. It's it's a podcast, <laughs> story conferences. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's funny because one in the beginning of the quote when you were talking about how like it's kind of full of half-truths, which it is, the way that I read it is the story that George is telling here almost seems so much longer, like – as if Anakin fell to the dark side in the beginning of Revenge of the Sith and just pretended to be a Jedi throughout all of it, like actively hiding it, almost like Palpatine does. That's kind of how I read it first. I don't know if that's what George meant, but that's how I almost see this quote. And so Mm -hmm. that isn't true. And, And even to say that he fell to the dark side does kind of take away some of that free will in it and that You can't control when you fall. But I think something that fandom is very adamant about in a lot of ways is that these are Anakin's choices. And we are too. You'll hear us talk about it all the time, that it is not one thing over the other, that it is not just that he was seduced or just that he fell to the dark side or just his own choices. It's all of it combined. And I think you even said it at the beginning of the section of a product of his environment, of manipulation, and also of his own fears and his own personal bad, evil choices. It's Mm -hmm. all of these things together. And I think Sometimes that gets lost, even in a quote like this from George and in like a lot of greater fandom conversations, too. And I think that's why this quote is kind of hard of like this quote from the Empire Strikes Back time period of he's still fighting his own way in his own way. The dark side of the force is so much more sympathetic than I think even Vader is portrayed in Empire Strikes Back. And I would even say in Return of the Jedi, before we kind of get to the unmasking, I think there are elements of this, but this is super sympathetic of he wants to be human, he's fighting, he just can't seem to get out. That's not entirely how I view the character of Vader that we have today. 
as far as his experience in the dark side of the force. In one of our very early episodes that we reference here every once in a while is that you and I talked about the dark side as like a barometer and the pendulum too of like where is his humanity at any given time? Where's his selflessness? Where's his selfishness and in the actions that he's doing? And I think we see this pendulum for Vader kind of swing a lot, particularly in the comics. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Yeah, where he's thinking about Padme and he's kind of on this mission to find out about Padme, right? You're more versed in the comics than I am. But I think that this idea here of he's trapped and he wants to be a good person, I think we see that in the comics, honestly, a lot. But to kind of push back against that, I guess I've kind of always viewed the sympathy and the inherent evilness of being on the dark side and the things that Vader does and all of our dark side characters of particularly for Vader of this idea of like, even if I renounced all of this, who would want me like my wife is gone, you know, my kids are gone that he believes at the time, Obi-Wan is gone, there is no one who would even take me back if I were to come back. So what's the point? Mm -hmm. None of it matters. This is my fate and I'm going to live in it and I'm going to do what I'm supposed to, which is evil. And for me, I think that's kind of how I have always viewed Vader and to a large extent Kylo too. And I don't know if that's right, but that's, I don't know, that's kind of where my head goes. But this is, oh my God, this quote is so interesting. (laughs) I, I agree with you on that perception of Vader. And I think that's true, but I also think there's more to it. Like yeah. when you mentioned the, the comics, I think there's this understanding, I, I think at least I've never written officially for Star Wars, right? But if I were to approach Vader in the original trilogy time period, I would approach it from someone who is realizing slowly that he's been lied to for the past 20 years of his life. And I think that in the comics, there's a sort of deconstruction of this idea of like, there's so much I don't know. Like in the comics with the handmaidens and discovering that, and it's like, wait, so there's so much, like I need to go to an oracle to figure this out. Can I exhume Padme's body? Like, what can I do? Because I feel like everyone around me has been lying to me. Like, what is there that I could possibly feel like a human again because I can't right now in who I am today. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Such an interesting way to think about Anakin and to think about Vader. Yeah. And I think just like to go back to this quote, George says he doesn't want to be a bad man, but he is. He can't resist it. He's struggling somehow to get out of what he is struggling with his humanity. And even just talking about how he ha- he was a product of his environment by making that choice, which was his own, to turn to the dark side in Revenge of the Sith, that environment is still very much present, right? He's still a slave, basically, to the emperor who will eventually kill him off for a new apprentice. And all these things are all compounded against him, where he is forever chained. It's It always reminds me of, and I talk about this too much, I know I do, of, of A Christmas Carol with this idea of having a chain that you've created that you're just bogged down by because of yeah. all your bad deeds and you have to somehow unlink and unchain who you are. And I think about that a lot with Vader and I feel like his chain is just so heavy because he doesn't know how to unchain it until he gets the glimmer of hope from the realization that Luke exists, number one, and then Leia exists, number two, and Luke believed in him, right? And that belief is what sets him free. Yeah, like he's always adding links to his chain even Mm -hmm. though like he's building in a way he's building his own prison through his actions even as he's 
trying to dig himself out on the other side. Absolutely. Like both are happening at the same time. Ouch. <laughs> so I think later on, though, we see George kind of, I feel like, summarize Anakin a little bit more how we see him in the in the second trilogy. This is also from the archives book. This is post-Return of the Jedi. I think this quote is actually taken from, I think, during the actual, at least when he's writing the scripts for the for the prequel trilogy. So George says this about Anakin. He says, Anakin wanted to save his wife, but it wasn't possible except with sort of black magic. The dark side made him feel all-powerful, and all-powerful means I can do whatever I want. I can be selfish. If I want to save my wife out of selfish reasons, I can do that, even though he couldn't because she died. It's a war between selflessness and selfishness. Luke was not trying to get some magic potion. He does not accept the Emperor's offer of come to the dark side and you can be all-powerful. When Vader sees his son willing to give up his life to save him, kill me, I am not going that way no matter what. That is what turns him. It is the end of Vader's journey to the dark side. And this whole concept of Vader's redemption is such like a heavy topic in fandom too of like, what does it mean? What is it for? Why does it matter? Why did he get the redemption in the end? But I think overall, this quote though is really, it's more succinct about Anakin's overall character development, his fall to the dark side. And I think that it's clear that George has really kind of fleshed out what happens and more importantly in this conversation I think why it happens and that selfishness versus selflessness and how both are kind of exhibited in Anakin's character and it's what took over in the most important moment. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of want to skip ahead to talking about Return of the Jedi where in this early draft the ghost of Ben encounters Vader and Luke. Ben, Obi-Wan. You know what? It gets kind of confusing these days when we talk about Ben and Vader, Ben Solo and Vader in the same conversation, and then also bring in Obi-Wan, who in early drafts is, is referred to, obviously, as Ben. Done my best in my notes to change it to Obi-Wan, but it gets a little confusing sometimes. Anyway, so Obi-Wan, and this is ghostly Obi-Wan encountering Vader and Luke. Obi-Wan says, I do not wish to save him, Luke from Vader. His fate is already decided. It is you I would save. And Vader says, you will fail to turn me as you did before. My strength lies with the dark side. Obi-Wan says, your son feels that there is some good in you. Luke says, father, listen to him. Obi-Wan says, you will be destroyed, if not by Luke, then by your emperor. When you become one with the dark side of the force, you will lose all identity. Vader says, that is the way. I do not fear death. Number one, this is probably one of the earliest iterations of something very similar to this is the way, right? <laughs> I think it's interesting that he says that he doesn't fear death. Well, I'm not surprised that he doesn't fear death. Like, let's be honest, he already lives a deathly existence as he's on the dark side, right? But I think it's really interesting here that Obi-Wan actually wanted to change Vader from the dark side to the light side. It's a very different conversation than what happens in Return of the Jedi when ghostly Obi-Wan and Yoda both tell Luke that it's impossible to change Darth Vader. It's too late for him. The only way for peace is to kill Vader and the Emperor. And that's Luke's mission. And Luke's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but this whole idea that your fate is decided and that perhaps Obi-Wan would save Vader, I think it, it proves to me this idea of like crafting a more sympathetic villain too. What do you think about this? Yeah, I think that was going to be what I was kind of my main takeaway from this quote was the end 
of it with Ben with Obi Wan <laughs> saying, "When you become one of one with the dark side, the Force, you lose all identity." And Vader says, "That is the way I do not fear death. It is kind of like a, I've given up. There is no hope for me. It doesn't matter that I lost my identity. I'm not afraid of death anymore because, like you said, he's already living a deathly existence. He's already he's already dead. He's dead inside." And mm-hmm. this moment is the thing that is sparking, swinging the pendulum for him again, I think, in this whole kind of the pendulum of Vader's humanity. What I think is important to point out is that in all of these kind of early versions, there is this seed of sympathy for Vader. And sometimes I think that can get lost in the films. Yeah. And I think coming again from the perspective of you and I as as prequel children, of knowing that Vader gets redeemed, we kind of approach these films a little differently, I think, in some ways, and like in the order that we watch them and we're introduced to Star Wars, really. And for you, where you found your fandom, right? Because you watched the original trilogy first, but mm-hmm. it was the prequel trilogy that like set in stone for you that you were going to be a fan. So I think we kind of bring that sympathy into the original trilogy, where I don't necessarily think that it's always as clearly portrayed, especially in Empire Strikes Back. Of course, that's the crux of what we see in Return of the Jedi, but it's really more from Luke's point of view. And that's why something like the Machete Order works really well for Vader's character. That's one of the main reasons you should definitely give Machete or the nesting viewing order a try. But it's clear to see in stuff like this that kind of straight sympathy for Vader, not through Luke, was always kind of a part of George's plan and his kind of approach to the character. Yeah, and I think that the cynic in me believes that the reason why in fandom or like culturally that sympathy might not come through is because I think that it's, number one, kind of the crux of the story. Like you go on this journey in order to understand the humanity of it all. And in that case, it's sort of a spoiler, for lack of a better term. And Secondly, I think that the dark side sells (laughs) like it's just in terms of like capitalism. I feel like it's much cooler to be bad than to be good. And I don't know, the costumes are cooler. You know what I mean? (laughs) So I feel like just in general, like culturally, since that's a huge part of how we view Star Wars culturally, right? Like it's always going to be part of the conversation. I always find and I've always found this for me, Star Wars is so much softer then I think that it thinks it is when it's marketed. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I always find that there's just so much sympathy for every single character. And the way that it, it's packaged, it doesn't really give that sympathy at all. And I honestly feel like sometimes creators are afraid to talk about that sympathy for both reasons that I explained, because one thing sells and the other thing is part of a spoiler of the journey of going on discovering a character's humanity. And just to even kind of go further into talking about how this was always part of it, we talked about before about how Lawrence Kasdan and Richard Marquand were kind of like he can't look too soft when he's unmasked and George literally says no he has to be soft like he has to yeah he has to be a real father he's got to be like your father when the mask comes off otherwise it doesn't work the whole point is that he might have been able to live without all this stuff but he would have been a weak pile of nothing now that he's on the dark side he wanted to be greedy he wanted to have all this he relied on the machine the whole machine thing becomes a partial metaphor for the dark side of the force which is machines have no feelings 
We have to elicit sorrow at this point, not repulsion. We want to make him as realistically screwed up at this point as possible without going too far. I mean, the truth is we went overboard on the whole thing in the last picture. This was Return of the Jedi when you see the backside of his helmet. It wasn't supposed to be that grotesque. As a matter of fact, you weren't supposed to see any of that at all. It was supposed to be a total silhouette. So interesting. It's just so interesting. Yeah, I think this reminds me a lot of George's quote, too, about the Ewoks of, you know, dare to be cute. Like, what's the worst they can do? (laughs) So what if they critique you or something? That's the quote, something like that. But it's like dare to be cute. It's like dare to be soft. And Uh I think that it's, yeah, in the whole conversation of this sympathetic viewing has always been a part of George's perception of Vader as a character. And I think they said they screen tested or auditioned like over 100 actors for the role of unmasked Vader at the end of Return of the Jedi. And so they're looking for a very specific look. And I think that that the whole scene of, you know, let me look on you with my own eyes, the whole thing, it, I can't imagine it with someone who looked like Tarkin or even Anakin or even like even Ben or something like the it worked so well because George pushed so hard for it to be soft for his voice to change for it to become lower and sadder Mm -hmm. to have these like sad droopy eyes like the whole package it's purposeful and I think even for people who didn't have sympathetic viewings of Vader throughout the original trilogy no matter when you kind of came into the fandom I think most people still feel something in that scene not only for Luke but also for Vader for Anakin himself yeah I think that just to kind of underscore my point is that it was always there they tested 100 actors but they also when they did the test screen for Return of the Jedi this was the thing that they were apparently most nervous about how were people going to respond to Darth Vader, who everyone had an action figure of being this old man. And apparently there were cheers and whoops and hollers and the test screening and they were just elated and they gave the biggest sigh of relief because they were just kind of all on edge about that. And I just think it really kind of proves that there was some something so powerful there about taking someone that started off so in, in that particular trilogy, so dark and going through this like pretty epic story that supported our main protagonist, Luke Skywalker's own journey as well. And the payoff there was just really, really great. Yeah, yeah, it really was. I think to kind of go backwards, forwards in time a little bit (laughs) to talk about the Revenge of the Sith novelization, you guys knew. (laughs) We couldn't talk about the dark side without talking about the Revenge of the Sith novelization. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Everyone's like, when's it coming? When's it coming? Also, side note, Charlotte and I have been reading the Revenge of the Sith novelization on TikTok Live. So if you're interested in that, <laughs> head on over to our TikTok. It's not on a schedule, but... You can still follow. Yeah, yeah. We're yeah. up to chapter four now. <laughs> We've been reading it. If anyone's followed me on Twitter for a long time, when I first read the Revenge of the Sith novelization back in 2018, 2017, I would read chapters on Periscope for like two hours at a time. It was obscenely long, but... <laughs> I did that on Periscope on Twitter, and now we've brought it over to TikTok. So it's like a return to our roots. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think actually this quote that you pulled from the Revenge of the Sith novelization almost speaks a lot more to some of the quotes that we read earlier about like agency, 
building your own prison, adding a, a link to the chain that's weighing you down, but it's your own actions that's doing it. I think that whole conversation too, I meant to say this earlier though, is very similar to thinking about the dark side and evil, almost like an addiction of knowing right that maybe you shouldn't be doing this or regretting your choices even, but still doing it. And that doesn't take away responsibility, of course, but it's just a different way to think about it. Yeah. Do you want to read the quote? Yes. So this is, like I said, from the Revenge of Sith novelization. You killed her because finally, when you could have saved her, when you could have gone away with her, when you could have been thinking about her, you were thinking about yourself. It is in this blazing moment that you finally understand the trap of the dark side, the final cruelty of the Sith, because now yourself is all you will ever have. And you rage and scream and reach through the force to crush the shadow that has destroyed you. But you are so far less now than what you were. You are more than half machine. You are like a painter gone blind, a composer gone deaf. You can remember where the power was, but the power you can touch is only a memory. And so with all your world-destroying fury, it is only droids around you that implode. And equipment and the table on which you were strapped shattered. And in the end, you cannot touch the shadow. In the end, you do not even want to. In the end, the shadow is all you have left, because the shadow understands you. The shadow forgives you. The shadow gathers you into itself, and within your furnace heart, you burn your own flame. Mm. Oh, my God. This Revenge of the Sith novelization just hits different. I just love it so much. (laughs) It's just the freaking best. And this is obviously from the end of the book, end of the movie, and this is when Anakin is Vader and he's finally realizing his own choices and that the fact that this is all a product of himself because he thought he could do it all when he realizes that he actually cannot do anything. And I think that that's the sword of the Sith, right? The dark side, because it promises you unlimited power, but at what cost? And that cost is losing everything, right? And I think that this novel does such a good job of personifying the dark side as a dragon within Anakin. And we talk about often on the show dragons as the ego. And I think that's true about this novel too, but just for the purposes of this conversation, the dragon inside of Anakin is in this quote, it talks about his furnace heart and he can burn his own flame. That's because he is now transformed into the dragon inside of himself was this sleeping dragon this entire time roaring and getting getting angrier and angrier and until he finally turns and now he is uncontrolled right and is stuck where he is and i think that just to go back to the concept of being trapped and chained that dragon is within himself and then he thought he was letting it free but actually just became the dragon this destructive beast and I think it's just great. (laughs) It's just a really good book. And it continues to talk about the dark and the dark side and the shadow. And we'll talk a little bit more about the shadow when we talk about Kylo Ren in the next part. So I think this quote is really important to include because, right, it is beautiful. But of course, George Lucas had line item editing on this book. He, Matthew Stover has talked about how George would meticulously edit specific word choices all throughout this book. He's very much within the pages of the Revenge of the Sith novelization and kind of more than just an adapted from a screenplay kind of way. And so I think, again, in this whole episode of tracking how George specifically, up until we get really to Kylo Ren, is talking about the dark side and how he conceptualizes it. I feel like this is the good summary, honestly, of what we've discussed so far 
And when we get really to the end of Anakin's character in this, like this most important choice that he makes in succumbing to the dark side. Mm -hmm. So this last little bit from the Revenge of the Sith novelization that we'll read says, the dark is generous and it is patient and it always wins. It always wins because it is everywhere. It is in the wood that burns in your hearth and in the kettle on the fire. It is under the chair and under your table and under the sheets on your bed. Walk in the midday sun and the dark is with you, attached to the soles of your feet. The brightest light casts the darkest shadow. All right, are we ready to move on to Kylo Ren? Yes, let's do it. Forgive me. I feel it again. The pull to the light. Okay, welcome to part three where we're talking, oh my God, about Kylo Ren. I feel like it's been a hot <laughs> second since since we've really talked about him. Yes. Anytime we get to talk about Kylo Ren is a good day. Honestly, my favorite character. So let's get into it because Kylo Ren is an Anakin-like figure with a different problem. He's pulled to the light versus the dark. And I think that when the sequel trilogy debuted, everything about Kylo Ren felt fresh and new. And I still feel that way about Kylo, by the way. It's not really that changed there, but... I think that having a character like this was really exciting. And I wanted to ask and bring up, like, does this refresh our feelings on the dark side being black and white? And do we think that the dark side dominated his destiny as per the Yoda quote that we're kind of working against? What do you think? Uh, you know, if you had talked to me about this, which we did in, you know, 2018, 2019, I think I would have said no. But I think... For a character like Kylo, I think I think it kind of did dominate his destiny in the end, in what we see in The Rise of Skywalker. And I think that's for a lot of different reasons that are shown in-universe. It's mm-hmm. not the ending, obviously, that I wanted for him, but I, I kind of think it does. I think it does dominate his destiny and the way that he is talked about in-universe thus far. Yeah, it's hard because Kylo's Ben Solo's story is more complicated than Anakin. You know what? It's really just really similar to Anakin's own choices. I think that we mentioned that Anakin is a product of his environment because he was lured in by Palpatine. Ben Solo was also lured in by Palpatine, right? Except more in a more sinister way about being a voice inside of his head. So it was always part of his destiny because that happened to him since he was in the womb. So it's hard because when we talk about the concept of free will, did this kid even have a choice? And that's what makes it so depressing when you talk about Ben Solo and his ending is that he didn't get a chance to live without that voice in his head, right? Yeah. And I think that we talk about how Star Wars is tragedy and I think that there are different ways that you can see the value in having a tragic character like Ben Solo exist in Star Wars. And you can also see value in the fact that his life ended in a way that that Anakin's goal in turning to the dark side is what Ben was able to do to Ray in a loving way that didn't include the dark side at all. And I always yeah. I think that is really beautiful and I think that that needs to be acknowledged. But I think in the conversation about whether it dominates his destiny, of course it did. Of course it dominated his destiny. The dark side did dominate his destiny because the dark side was ever present throughout his entire life. And I think the greater question is, is the dark side present in everyone's life? And I think the answer to that is yes. But I think that the waters are just really muddy with Kylo Ren just in general because of a lot of different reasons. I'm not sure. I think that 
the sequel trilogy and The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi and, and even The Rise of Skywalker really do show that are trying to show that we all have these dualities within us. I think we yeah. see this best expressed with a character like Rey, especially in The Last Jedi. And even with a lot of her aggression in The Rise of Skywalker, it's like, oh, where is that coming from? Like, that's not something we necessarily attribute to Jedi, that kind of aggression or the the quote unquote best Jedi, right? Like Anakin showed a lot of that in The Clone Wars, that aggression, but that was always really frowned upon by those around him. And we see that exhibited in Rey. And of course, in The Last Jedi, she is uh, drawn to the dark side, as Luke says, and in a very fearful way. But yeah, it's hard with Kylo because there's the great, great parallel that, you know, romantic love is what kind of did Anakin in. It's what forced his hand in a way. I say forced his hand. It was his choice. But you guys know what I mean. But with Kylo, it was what helped bring him back it was what helped spurred him spurred him to make that choice and it was a combination of the thing that he lost with his family that scene with with han at the end of the rise of skywalker or on the death star of the rise of skywalker and then also you know at the end being able to call on the light side of the force to actually do something that anakin couldn't do in saving ray and saving the person that he loves the most but yeah, like it did dominate his destiny. And did he even have a choice when that darkness was kind of thrust upon him from the very beginning? And you and I were talking about this, you know, when we were writing these notes of Kylo has always been this kind of weird outlier in this conversation because he is drawn to the light. And he talks about this very frequently, especially in The Force Awakens, of being pulled to the light. And what does it mean? And of course, Dark side characters like Vader is eventually pulled to the light, but it is never really as strong, at least it's not talked about like that, as strong as we see in Kylo where he's actively fighting against it and he feels that he's going to succumb to the light side of the force. That's how prevalent it is, I guess, like in, in his soul, if you will, as opposed to like by the time we see Vader really in his prime as Darth Vader. That's not really a part of his day-to-day. It's just kind of the the drudgery of living in the dark side, whereas Kylo is actively fighting against the light side. It's such like a weird switch. But in the end, Kylo is the one who is kind of more defined by the dark side than maybe even Vader. That feels controversial to say. (laughs) I know. It's so interesting. And the other thing about this is that we haven't had as much time to explore Ben Solo as much as we've had time to explore Anakin Skywalker, which goes back to our earlier conversation about our own entry points into Star Wars and what we consider to be like a a series of sympathetic stories over and over and over again. When you have like such a body and breadth of work that supports Anakin Skywalker as a sympathetic character, we only really have three movies that support Kylo Ren as someone who is tormented by the dark side and the light side, right? And I think that our perception of kylo ren could change like our cultural perception of him could change in the next 20 years just based off of what they do to the character you know and i find that really fascinating to even consider and i think it's it's depressing to me to say that he ben solo his destiny is dominated by the dark side but i also want to counter argue that maybe there's uh, validity in having a tragic character part of your story 
However, I'm just not sure if that's the right move for our last Skywalker. And I think that those are things that we've argued and talked about often, but I do understand the appeal of the tragedy of it all, just because that's basically why I ended up liking Anakin Skywalker in Revenge of the Sith too. But (laughs) at the same time, I knew that he was redeemed in the end, but also Kylo was also redeemed in the end. So it's just a really complicated conversation, (laughs) to be honest. And clearly, Caitlin and I are still working through a lot of feelings about this. (laughs) I I think people will be really surprised to hear us say that, maybe, that that his destiny is dominated by the dark side because that feels that's so different than how we talked about his character up until the rise of Skywalker of like, this is the turning point, like rise. The way we talked about it before is that the rise of Skywalker would be the turning point. And we even talked about the possibility of his death a lot leading up to the rise of Skywalker. But the hopefulness is that a character that clearly we already had an immense amount of sympathy for gets that second chance and not Mm -hmm. only gets the second chance but gets to live with the second chance and i think too that the idea of atonement too and getting to see a character like kylo ren really work through what he did and acknowledging that and living with it as ben solo too and so having it end in as of right now (laughs) fingers crossed knocks on wood of death it just it feels it feels really harsh because this is the only life that he has known and this is the only life that we the audience have known with him and even these like iterations of him as a younger kid who's still kind of still on the light side hasn't fallen yet are kind of few and far between and of course I do believe that that's going to change in the future so to revisit this conversation in 10 years I'm hopeful that it'll be very different but yeah it is an interesting choice to make for the last Skywalker And I would like to know what the conversation was because you're right. There is validity. There is value in a story of a character like Kylo dying. We've seen it with Vader. There's value in that kind of story. It's not that it's bad for a redeemed evil character to die. But was it the right choice for this character? I still don't think so. And so I, I would love to know more about why they eventually came to that conclusion because how are they talking about the dark side and what redemption means because for me that and for you too that's a big piece that's missing here of okay like if this was your conclusion what was the reason behind it because let me let me work through that you know (laughs) (laughs) well i think what's what's tough is that so much fan conversation since 1983 is maybe vader shouldn't have been redeemed or who his he was only redeemed in Luke's eyes and yeah I think that's true and actually explored throughout the text and in canon with Leia actually wrestling through her feelings about finding out that Vader is her father too yeah and I think that for us it was like oh we would prefer that to be explored further in the films about if Ben is Anakin's grandson then maybe there's a way to further the story of living redeemed versus dying. And we thought that that would happen because Ben is so young. And I think that if things were different, obviously I would have chosen differently. I wanted to talk a little bit about Ryan Johnson's conceptualization of Ben Solo Kylo Ren when he was writing The Last Jedi. And he 
used Robert Bly's book, the little book, um, The Human Shadow, which I own. It's a very small little book. It's very nice and cute and has a lot of wisdom. And I think it has a lot to say about the dark side and what the difference between the dark side and your own shadow is. And so when we were talking about Vader before and in the Revenge of the Sith novelization, it talks about living with your shadow and your shadow always being there and how Vader was consumed by his own shadow. And I think in this book, it really kind of proposes this idea that the shadow is simply the whole unconscious of being. And the, the quote is, in this first stage of approach to the unconscious, the shadow is simply a mythological name for all that within me I cannot directly know. So going back even earlier to our conversation about the very early concepts of the dark side, right? The Ashla and the Bogan, this idea that something that is unknown is scary. And then once you know it, it takes you, takes you over, right? And I think that goes back to what we're talking about with the shadow, right? That everything within me, which I cannot directly know. And I think that, it, th so to read another quote, the decision taken privately as part of one's inner life to fight the dark side of oneself can cause the conscious and the unconscious to take up adversary positions. The adversary positions can quickly spread and influence decisions. Every part of our par personality that we do not love will become hostile to us. We could add that it may move to a distant place and begin to revolt against us as well. And I think that just this idea of what we're not naming and what we're scared of as being something that carries with us as our shadow is really interesting. And just like, it's also interesting to conceptualize this and think about this with Ben Solo um, and the character that we see really fleshed out in The Last Jedi as a sympathetic character. At least that's our opinion, <laughs> right? Robert Bly also goes on to talk about the idea of the shadow as a bag that you carry with you. And the more you put in the bag behind you, the heavier it becomes. And this also reminds me of talking about the Christmas Carol, even before in the last part, about your heavy chain. So he goes on to say, you must go through several stages and then eat the shadow to consume it and be fully whole. You lessen the length of the bag. And then so you have to ask yourself, like, what's the first step of eating your shadow to consume it to become fully whole? And I want to make a caveat to say that this is separate from talking about how the shadow and the dark side consumes you in the Revenge of the Sith novelization. This is different, okay? This is a different type of shadow. This is a less <laughs> dark shadow, okay? This is every unknowing, unconscious part of yourself. And so how do you do that? How do you communicate with your shadow? And how do you move on through life as you grow up, right? That's the question. That's what we're all trying to answer, right? So what's the first step in consuming your shadow? And here's a quote. Using language consciously seems to be the most fruitful method of retrieving shadow substance scattered out in the world. Energy we have sent out is floating around us beyond the psyche. And one way to pull it back into the psyche is by the rope of language. Certain kind of language are nets, and we need to use the net actively, throwing it out. Language contains retrieved shadow substances of all our ancestors. And I know that that all sounds like a bunch of gobbledygook to some of you, okay? <laughs> I'm aware of that. But I think it's really interesting in the concept of Star Wars because something that Caitlin and I actually talk about a lot is that there's such a big problem in the galaxy far, far away that people don't talk to each other and that the whole, all the problems in the galaxy would have been solved maybe if Anakin had just talked to Obi-Wan about Padme, okay? <laughs> right? 
So if we think about Anakin Skywalker's own shadow, what is it? It's all these things that are building behind him in the Clone Wars. Think about Anakin in the Clone Wars. His shadow and his bag that is filled behind him is his secret marriage to Padme. The fact that he loves Padme. The fact that he wants more. The fact that he's insecure in his own friendship and brotherhood with Obi-Wan. The fact that he's insecure in his mentorship of Ahsoka. All these things, right? And that's in his large bag that he just doesn't talk about at all. He doesn't talk about it at all. I don't even think he talks about it to his wife. And the same thing with Ben Solo, right? So if you think about Ben and his own shadow and the bag behind him, you can think about all the things that he's he can put into the bag. He doesn't talk about the voices inside of his head. And when he does, his parents talk behind his back and treat him like a monster. So then he's not going to talk about that even more. And then it grows even bigger. And then when he goes off to Jedi Academy with Luke, then he's seen as a freak. And that's what happens to him in The Last Jedi when Luke is standing over him, seeing something dark inside of him because he doesn't name that evil and he doesn't recognize what that is and even with ray right like what is her bag her bag is filled with her insecurities about looking for her parents everywhere and the parents that she lost and who she is and this energy inside of her that she doesn't know what to do with and she feels lost and the only way that she can consume her own shadow is actually talking with ben solo around a fire and touching hands across the galaxy important. and that it's it, it it is important because it, it feels like this was the only way <laughs> to move forward and move our story forward it does right yeah and i think that all of this is really fascinating i'm actually like really glad and i highly recommend this book i'm glad that we brought this all up because i think even robert bly goes on to talk about how the shadow has negative connotations and an association with the dark side and he talks about the difference between a wild man and a savage man. And he says, and I think a lot of this is rooted in gender binary. So it's, it was a long time ago. Things have changed. I, I recognize that. But he talks about how a wild man has spontaneity in the presence of the female side within him and a positive male sexuality, while a savage man has none of those things. He's denying all parts of the whole, every single part of himself that he pushes into a, a long shadow behind him into a huge bag. And I think that it's it's just really interesting to think about this in, in conversation with the concept of the dark side. And I think they're one and the same, but also entirely different. And I think that this perhaps could be one of the major differences between how we approach the dark side with a character like Kylo Ren versus like Darth Vader or even like Palpatine, really, you know? Yeah, I feel like you've summed up this entire section. <laughs> I just think the difference is humanity. We're exploring humanity here versus in in a much more sympathetic way than we were before. Well, I think that the thing, I guess, kind of to summarize your summary, your excellent summary of naming the shadow, right, of recognizing that it's not inherently evil what you don't know, but it's like the monster under your bed or I don't know, the the darkness in your house at nighttime, it's just because you can't see what's there, even though what's there is probably benign in some ways. But um, like obviously with a character like Kylo, it, it's not, right? Like there is evilness. There is darkness there, darkness that was thrust upon him, darkness that he also embraced. Like again, these things, it's not one or the other. It's just like it was, wasn't with Anakin and isn't with Kylo either. And I think that 
you write this like the naming of the shadow is so important and that's why it worked for Rey in The Last Jedi. She named it. It was loneliness. She said, I've never felt so alone. And Kylo is there on the other end to say, you're not alone. Put the bag down. Put down the bag of abandonment and loneliness. I am here for you. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is like we don't get to see. And I think Kylo almost says it. Like I think we get the sentiment of that kind of idea in The Rise of Skywalker when he's talking to Rey on the Death Star. And he says, you know, you can't go back to her just like I can't about his mother, about Leia. I feel like that's one of the most true things that that Kylo says in that movie. And then shortly after, that's his redemption scene with Han. And Han says, go back. (laughs) Um, Go to her. Of course, Leia is already gone at that point, but that idea, like Kylo, he he names it in that moment with Rey. You can't go back to her, just like I can't. And Rey doesn't have the same kind of response that Kylo does in The Last Jedi, but I think it's kind of the same thing. And in that moment, I think we really do see everything that has been building in Kylo since the very beginning. And we talked about this a lot with Kylo through his character development up through the rise of Skywalker of just uh, and kind of with like the whole conversation of naming your shadow. Right. Like Kylo's always been told who he is. He never kind of came into an identity of himself for himself and being able to name his own shadows to bring them out into the light of to let go of the bag or even to understand how he was holding his own bag of shadows I don't think he ever like processed any of that because people were always just telling him who he was telling him what they saw in him and he felt like he had to accept it and the person who had the strongest voice was Snoke was Palpatine and so he took it and he embraced that identity because that's who he thought he needed to be. And that's who he became then, kind of almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And yeah, kind of that moment of of finally acknowledging that fear, that loss is shortly after when we actually have his big redemption scene on the Death Star. Yeah. It's interesting because I think even just the conversation about the line in Robert Bly about we need to pull it back into the psyche by the rope of language. I mean, I think we even talk about how hands are a language in episodes. We've talked about that before. (laughs) And there we go with the touching hands across the galaxy and things like that. So I would argue that maybe there is an expression of a lightened bag, an emptied shadow or an eaten shadow when Ray and Ben see each other on Exegol. And there's that great moment where you know, they acknowledge each other through the force, even though they're in different spaces. But there is no like clear conversation. But I think that like also in this conversation that maybe there's more to their own language than what we see on the screen. And I think that you're right in the conversation about identity, but even just going back to the dark side of it all, it's clear how one could be consumed by their shadow had they had no outlet to explore. And I think that that's exactly what happens with Anakin. That's what happens with maybe even Maul. I don't know. There's there's different ways to um, explore that if we go down the list of Darksiders, right? And I think that you could argue that Ben got out, Anakin got out, but they were still consumed at one point. Yeah, I think it's 
the expression of the dark side between Vader and Anakin has such similarities, but also pretty significant differences too. And I think it's kind of hard to talk about, and I don't think I'm going to do a very good job at it, but I almost feel like the dark side in the sequel trilogy as expressed through Kylo is a lot more emotional, a lot more personal than it is with Anakin and Vader, which feels weird to say because I know how personal it is with Anakin, with Padme and everything, but I feel like so much of that is me being obsessive over the character and like (laughs) really diving into it. Whereas I think even with just like the tantrum nature of Kylo that we kind of like to poke fun at, but I think even that just kind of chaotic, like, Ah, like what do I do and and the being pulled to the light it feels so much more Shakespearean with Kylo in a lot of ways and I don't mean that to say that it isn't Shakespearean with Anakin because even as I'm saying this I'm like but Anakin is super tragic and emotional (laughs) and Shakespearean and like I still believe all of that and it is it very much is so but it's just at a different it's a different tone it's a different frequency with kylo that feels for me anyway so much more tactile and i don't know tragic and maybe that and that totally is not maybe it totally is due to knowing his ending now versus a character like anakin you know, like the idea of tragedy, like Greek myths, it's like, why do we keep revisiting them if we know how the story ends? It's with the hope that it might end a little differently. For me, that's different with Anakin and and Ben, right? With with Anakin, it's almost, it's an easier pill to swallow than it is I don't ben. know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that, Caitlin. I feel like that's your own bias. I don't I'm think sure it's an it easier. Is. Yeah, I don't think it's an easier pill to swallow. I think you return to Revenge of the Sith because of that exact reason that you named about you hoping that it somehow changes every single time. And I think it's an act of a good storytelling that you can actually return to those things and understand the feelings of emotion and tragedy and what that elicits in the audience. And I think people feel that way about certain movies. And that includes The Rise of Skywalker, even if it doesn't include it for you. Yeah, no, I mean, I I 100% acknowledge that that is a lot of my bias for these characters. And of course, like with Again, it's like I don't think that the Anakin Skywalker portion of Star Wars is not super tragic and emotional and Shakespearean. But like I said, it's on a different frequency for me. And a large part of that is due to how much I love Kylo Ren as a character and also the satisfaction I feel with how the dark side ultimately ended with these characters. Because with Anakin, there is satisfaction. With Ben, there isn't at this juncture in time. But even still, before the ending, right, I still think I would have said that of it feels so much more tragic even before the actual tragic ending of it all. Because to a certain degree, it feels like there's less agency with Kylo because of all the reasons we've talked about with it following him throughout his entire childhood, basically. And that doesn't remove agency or or responsibility but it's just a a bigger layer i think in his overall story which for me creates a lot more sympathy for his character yeah yeah i totally i totally think that is true i also think that like a big difference between kylo ren and our approach to kylo ren is that he was written with this beginning in mind that we are already sympathetic towards him because he is a a product of leia and han who are characters we already love yeah and with Anakin, it's just a little different just because 
we're starting from a place and we're backtracking and things are just sort of it's weird to say because I know that there's you know so much conversation about like was the sequel trilogy planned blah 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 no I will say that I think that it feels a little bit more spontaneous with the Anakin story just because it was spread out for so long and has changed and ebbed and flowed so much but with Ben's I feel like we're in a concentrated piece of time of, of like four years of fandom right when the movies came out that it feels like a little bit more condensed and more personal because we're so close to it and because that's it that's all we have yeah yeah and and yeah it is such it's a short period of his life that we actually experience too and so again this this conversation could change will change 10 years from now depending on what news stories will be told and i think there will be news stories about kylo i don't know what but (laughs) i know i have my own hopes (laughs) i think also just to like reiterate your point about free will and i think that both of these characters and anakin and ben solo have free will to turn to turn away from the dark side but just to reiterate what you said about how there's an extra layer of tragedy about there being a voice inside of ben's head that has influenced and coddled him and groomed him basically his entire life and separated him from the family that we know and love right like there's that connection there too so all of that is so tragic to us as an audience member that it feels like one's own point of view of free will is a bit more chained up than Anakin's own yeah I think especially too because characters like you mentioned characters like Han and Leia and Luke they at this point right 40 plus years they feel like family too they're Mm -hmm. as much a part of the social consciousness I think the pop culture consciousness that you know if they're sad I'm sad (laughs) absolutely same (laughs) (laughs) and it is personal Star Wars of course is personal that's why it's lasted so long and not just personal it's important and personal so however you feel about those characters it's going to and and what you've taken from them into your real life too is -hmm. of course going to impact whether you are glad that Kylo died in the end or not glad that he died in the end it's it's going to affect your viewing yeah not affect it just change it from someone else's I think it's important here to draw a conclusion because now we're winding down right we talked about Anakin we talked about Ben Solo we talked about the origins and I just want to propose that age-old English major essay question that is (laughs) so what if the light side is love and the dark side is evil, is it really that simple? Is all of this that simple? Is any of this that simple? I think I would propose that the dark side is consumption and the light side is freedom and that ability to use that free will, I guess. What do you think about that? I agree, but I would also say that we've discussed a lot the nature of free will even within the dark side a dark yeah. side user too. So right. it's a it's a different kind of freedom. I think it's I think the light side is lightness. Kind of the, the metaphor right from the Christmas carol and the chains mm-hmm. versus putting down the bag with your shadow. I think I would say the lightness is lightness and the dark side is like burden. Mm-hmm. I think that might be the conclusion I come to. Yeah. So then in in that respect is Yoda right. So our original hypothesis saying that the dark side will forever dominate your destiny once you start on that path. Is that true? And does it even matter? 
I think it is true for some characters. I don't think it's true for I think Yoda was wrong in his he was talking about Vader. He mm-hmm. was wrong. I think it can be right about characters. Like for Palpatine, it's right. I think for Maul, that's correct. And I think to a certain extent it's right for Kylo. So yeah, I do think it's true. But I think Yoda was wrong in that instance. Yeah. And can be wrong again in the future. Yeah, I I think I agree too and that's also part of what makes Yoda's character interesting and Yoda as a character has only gotten more interesting to me as I've gotten older and with this podcast actually used to not be a fan Caitlin too and honestly now I I think he's a really fascinating flawed hero that I I think that it always deserves a little bit of examination and I'm glad that we were able to go through this exercise with this here I think just to add to that quote from Yoda I think part of the lesson of Star Wars that I think we should always continue back to is this idea that every single day with every single thing you do in your life, you're given a decision mostly between two things. And the two things are to do the right thing or the wrong thing. And they vary on scale. And the ability to put your lightness over your dark side takes a lot of strength. And I think Star Wars is here to show us that that decision is hard and challenging, but you're always going to be making those decisions and you can always choose the light side over the dark side again and again and again. It's never too late for you to do that, at least to yourself or to one person. Yeah. And I think it's important too that this isn't so like the the scale of right and wrong decisions, right? But it's also not a scale of 20 wrong options means you're gone forever it's not like an actual weighted scale of if you do too many your soul is gone i think we have characters in star it's complicated too right like we have characters whose souls are lost someone like palpatine did he even have one who's to say or snoke who was created in a pickle but but i would also disagree with that caitlin i think that star wars would say that maybe you should see the fact that Palpatine could make one good choice at the end of his life. You don't have to forgive him. You don't have to forgive him, but perhaps that might be enough for some people or someone or just himself. I don't know. Yeah, but it's still that still proves that it's not just a a scale, uh, like a mm-hmm. physical scale of like there's still the ability to tip the scale the other way no matter how weighted down it is. And who does the tipping and right, like you don't have to forgive him. That of course is a part of it, but I don't think we should think about it as it relates to the real world of, yeah, like in our day-to-day lives of, totally. you know, like a kid of doing five wrong things means you're a bad person throughout the day. It's not like that, but it it is about that selfish versus selfless choice day in and day out and yeah how you go about your day who you're living for really living for yourself is not a selfish choice but you can make selfish choices and selfless choices if that makes sense yeah it does I mean I think that goes back to the age-old conversation about like is there actually a selfless good deed is it always part of yourself and I feel like those things are like is there always going to be a selfish aspect to a selfless good deed and I think that those two things can exist in this marriage of opposites, honestly. Yeah. They have to because it's part of your personal journey to 
kind of work hard on yourself too. I don't know if that even makes sense. but Yeah, and, and like loving yourself too. Yeah. By acknowledging your shadow. Exactly. The part of it. Yes. This was fun. I had a great time talking about the dark side and we have yeah. – more to say, I think we'll probably do a follow up episode. So, yeah, I'm sure we will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is a lot, <laughs> but this is a good discussion, and I'm really glad we we were finally able to put pen to Google Doc and get it out there. All right, well, I think that is going to wrap up this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We're able to make sense of it. Follow along with us. If you want to follow along with us online, you can find us on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or our personal handles. Mine is at Caitlin Plusher and Charlotte's is at Clarity. We also have our website, skytalkers.com, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And if you haven't left us a review yet on iTunes and you would like to take a second and do that, we would really appreciate it. And it helps other people find our show too. And if you're interested in other ways to support us, you can also head on over to our Patreon and check out our reward tiers there. Yes. And I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, Kevin, Saver Bouquet, Allison, Dan, Nathan, Amy, Chris, Kelly, Brian, Claxton26, Chris, Christina, Rachel, Britt, Alex, Emily, Anders, Aaron, Levi, Patricia, Sophie, Logan, Colin, and Molly. Thank you so much for supporting us. Your support means the world. Yes. Thank you guys so much. And as always, until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. 